Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 4. And um, February's brutal, isn't it? I mean, gosh, what do you do after church? Go bowling, ice skate. Football's ending today, so I don't know what to do. Um, I guess if you have money, you can go to Florida. So uh, we're trying to combat some of this. Uh, Starting next week for eight weeks on Sunday, we're going to keep the cafe open until 3 o'clock. We did that last year, had great success. The reason why we do it is we have financial peace after church on Sunday, and then the teenagers are going through Illuminate, which is a personality um, study, which will really enhance what they do in life. I, every parent in the room should consider signing your child up for this. So years past, when we would do kid lead and things like this, I'd see parents sitting in the car. So I'm like, why don't we just keep the cafe open? If you're a college student or high school student, you can do homework or we can hang out. And um, so we'll do it again. We'll have a light lunch for you and some options there. So hopefully you'll take advantage of it. Uh, Luke chapter 4 is one of the most familiar texts in all of Scripture. It's Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, which is unfathomable to most world religions how a God could ever be tempted. And it's what makes him a great high priest, and, and, and he's aware of what we're going through. So uh, this is holy ground. Uh, there have been tremendous sermons preached on this. In fact, at our men's retreat, Tim Chaddock just nailed this. So uh, I purposely didn't listen to Tim's talk again. If you don't like my talk, just go home and download Tim's, and you'll be blessed either way. Uh, whenever I teach it, I like to start in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, and then jump to chapter 4, verse 1, because it gives us the context. Chapter 3, verse 27 says, when all the people were baptized, remember, they're coming out to the Jordan in the hundreds of thousands. This is a move of God. The idea that heaven is speaking again, and they come to be baptized to John, the remission of sins. And it came that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove. It doesn't say it was a dove. The dove's a symbol of Calvary Chapel, but Luke's just grabbing for any simile he can. It was like a dove. That's the only uh, language he could think about. And it alighted upon him, and then a voice came out of heaven. This is the voice of the Father. This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. It's the first time the word love is used in the New Testament. And true love is always the father's love for an only son. The first time in the Old Testament, Genesis 22, when God told Abraham, take thy son, thy son that you love, and offer him as an act of worship at a specific place. So we see that love is God's love for an only son. That's true love. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Raise your hands real high if you're Spirit-filled this morning. Okay, we're in more trouble than I thought. If, if, you're, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit resides in you. You don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to work miracles. How many of you are Spirit-filled? Okay? So Spirit-filled isn't, you know, I'm going to whoop it up and perform miracles and God's going to move me into a life of ecstasy. Jesus being filled with the Spirit, the very first place he's led is to the wilderness. And there he was tempted by the devil 40 days. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when, he, when it had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, now you need to perk up your ears here because we don't see Satan speak that much. 
And he speaks to us, and he always speaks in lies. And he said, if you are the son of God, uh, Weist is one of the great um, men who have studied the scripture as far as the Greek language. And this can be since you're the son of God or, or, or being the son of God. In other words, prove out the idea that you're the son of God and make these stones, command them to become bread. Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms, all the economies, all the images of the world. In a moment of time, and he said to him, the devil, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I can give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all this will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Verse 9, the final temptation, he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle or the highest place of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then Satan quotes scripture. You know, the Bible says he can appear as an angel of light. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in your hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus responded and said to him, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil hadn't ended every temptation, and we're not sure if there was three or more, he departed from him for an opportune time or for another season. So it's no mystery what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about temptation. Now, people always say, oh, we need to make the Bible relevant, to which I always say it already is. We don't have to make it that way. So I don't think anybody would come here this morning and say, oh my gosh, we're going to talk about temptation? Can't we talk about something that's pertinent to my life? Can't we move on? I conquered temptation a long time ago. No, this is where we live, right? This is the struggle. The struggle is, I love God. I believe in God. The day I was converted, I gave my life to him. The problem is, when I was spiritually awoken, I could see spiritual things. Temptation became more of a reality to me. Before it was a matter of right or wrong, somebody's rules or regulations. Now the light was turned on. I could see things for what they truly are. And I become like Paul. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. A wretched man that I am. This is our struggle. We traffic in this every single day. This is where we live. So, I want to draw out five truths about this temptation. I think it will help us all this morning as we look at it collectively. However, I do want to say two things before we begin. Number one, even though we're going to try and draw application for our lives out of this, I said earlier, this is holy ground. What does that mean? This is an onslaught of hell against God's plan of redemption for the human race. From Genesis, there's been a crimson thread running through the entire Old Testament. Everything pointing to Jesus Christ coming to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. To be the Passover lamb. To be a sinless substitute that you and I can know eternal life. That there would be finally redemption through his blood, through his death on the cross. This was God's plan. And Satan now throwing everything against this plan, getting Jesus to compromise, getting Jesus to take an alternate route. The second thing we need to understand is Jesus could have never sinned. Does everybody understand that? You know, I think Christians are are, are misaligned on this one. Um, Jesus was driven into the wilderness. 
But he could not have sinned. He could not have succumbed, at least in a simple way, to this temptation. Why? Because Mary was told that holy thing that is in you is born of God. It was the seed of the woman. He did not have Adam's sin nature passed down to him. Let me phrase it this way. Uh, Adam and Eve, when they were put in the garden, did not have original sin. They had the potential to sin, and they did. They also had the potential not to sin. You and I are different. See, they became sinners because they sinned. We sin because we're sinners. Did I confuse everybody? In other words, yeah, I know. I, it sounds, even when I say it to myself, I'm not convinced. Listen, you have to sin because your father gave you a physical casing, okay? Like sausage, right? You have looks, you have hair, you might not have hair. That was delivered by your dad and your mom, Okay? What was delivered also was a sin nature. You had to sin because you were born with a sin nature. Adam and Eve had a choice. Jesus had no sin nature. He could not have sinned. He was the son of God. He was fully man. He was fully God. We need to understand those things before we begin. So um, let's look at truth number one. Got to nail this one down. God is never the source of temptation. And I have to begin there. Because we have a lot of people coming from other churches. We have family of origin problems. We have, uh, we've been taught the Bible by different people. Some people have this idea that God is laying a minefield of traps out there for you so he can catch you doing wrong. Like he's throwing $100 bills down and when you reach down to get them, he's pulling them on a string. People actually believe this kind of thing. Or we have this idea of a yin-yang. There's a devil on one shoulder and God's on the other shoulder. Um, If you've been through temptation, and we all have, God is not the source. So let's go back to the garden. God puts a couple in the garden. He gives them all the trees to eat of, and he puts one restriction. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, man is quick to look at a story like that and say, wow, God's pretty restrictive. God, God disallowed something. I look at it and say, God's benevolent. He's generous. Gave us a wide variety of things and as any good parent set boundaries and limits and said this isn't good for you. Uh, There's another reason why God put that tree in the midst of the garden. Because God designed us for fellowship to commune with him in love. And true love demands a choice. True love not only demands a choice, that choice must be attractive. Can you imagine if God took the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, put an electric fence around it? And then every time you desired it or thought you might be tempted to eat of it, you got zapped. So Adam and Eve would have never eaten of it, neither would anybody else. Could God then look down and say, wow, this is a sinless people that love me? No, they're just like Pavlov's dog. They have been conditioned not to do that, but not inwardly, not out of true love. True love means you set something free. You give it an alternate choice. God designed us in a way where we could choose for him and we can choose against him, and many do. And you'll never force people into the kingdom. That's legalism. Again, God, like any good parent, set boundaries and limits. Adam and Eve were enticed. The the tree was was profitable for food. It could give them wisdom. They, they saw something in it. Satan came along. He said, you'll be like God. They were enticed. Uh, James makes this so clear. Let me, let me read this to you. 
He said, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God can't tempt anyone, nor is he tempted by evil, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So let's kind of lay that one to bed. God doesn't tempt anyone. Now, if that's true, why was Jesus led into the wilderness? Jesus was led into the wilderness because there was something God wanted to do there before he started his ministry. But understand it this way. God allows temptation. The book of Job, chapter 1, there's a scene. We see Satan talking again. And he's accusing. He's a slanderer. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's speaking to God about Job. And he says, Job only loves you because you've blessed him. Skin for skin, a man will give all that he has for his life. Let me touch him and he'll surely curse you to your face. And that was an indictment not only on Job but the entire human race that no one could really serve God and love God because it's intrinsic in us. But we're all serving God for what we can get out of him. Now here's what's scary. That's a doctrine that's preached today. You can have the best life now. You can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You can serve God and get all the good things. And Satan knows human nature, and he allowed Job, listen, to be tested. Campbell Morgan does a fantastic job here when he said, Jesus was 40 days led and 40 days tempted. 40 days led, 40 days tempted. 40 days led by the Spirit of God who was allowing him to go through the temptation so he would be tested and he would come out the other side proven commodity that he loves God and stronger for it Satan tempting him Uh, if you're I don't know I'm 52 I guess if you're 46 you might remember this we used to watch television and every once in a while this black and white picture would come up with this weird looking thing and it would go and it would say uh, if this were an actual emergency this is only a the emergency broadcasting networks is only a test. But if this were an actual emergency, you, you would have been told where to go. See, that's what God's saying. This is only a test. Satan is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. God's saying, no, it's only a test. So God doesn't tempt anyone. God allowed Jesus to be tempted. He'll allow you to be tempted as a test to prove to yourself and to God your love for him. And Jesus passed that test. Well, if God's not the source of temptation, who is? That's point number two. Source of temptation is the person mentioned 11 times in these 13 verses. The devil. Now, if I said that at Princeton or Yale or some of our laboratories or corporations, I'd be laughed out of the room, right? Now, I know you all believe in a devil. Most people scoff at this idea. Come on, it's 2015. Are you really going to give me the line, the devil made me do it? So let's talk about logic. Okay, if I walked in the same room where people wouldn't believe in a devil and I said, how many people believe in God? Probably the majority of hands would go up in the air. Gallup tells us, poll after poll, that 90% of Americans believe in God. They might not live for him. It might not be the God that we serve. They might not serve him biblically, but they believe in a quote-unquote higher power. So is it really a leap of logic if there's a God who's moving things ahead for good, that there would be an evil one? Jesus believed the devil existed. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
He's called Beelzebub, the devil, the thief, the accuser of the brethren. Is it really a leap of logic to say we live in an evil world? Turn on your TV, ISIS, beheading people. Read about the Holocaust. Read about Stalin and these brutal dictators. Look at human history. We have two choices to say evil's there, it's all around us, or we can reduce it all to some behavioral problem that you know medical doctors and scientists will tell us something's wrong with the brain, something's wrong with the system. No, that doesn't produce six million Jews being put in ovens. That's evil. It can only be evil. I was in New York City two days after 9-11. I smelled evil, I tasted it, I saw it. It's beyond any of these descriptions. There is an evil one, and he's behind it all. The Bible says he's like a lion going to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. I'm going to disappoint you a little bit today. Though Satan's the author of temptation, there's a strong possibility he's never tempted you. Um, He's like a lion going to and fro. He's not like God. He can't be everywhere at one time. I think he's got bigger fish to fry. How about you? Now, my pastor said, you probably have a buck private demon who's badgering you with lies. But Satan is still the author of the system, which leads to the third truth, that to really overcome temptation, you have to understand Satan's tactics. The Bible says, the wiles of the devil, that's a King James Version. Um, His schemes, Satan has a scheme. And it's actually brilliant, and I hate saying that word, and I hate saying anything about him that's positive because it's not brilliant to go against God, but, but it's brilliant. And by the way, one of the reasons we don't believe in a devil is because we have this middle-age idea of a man in a red suit with a pitchfork. That's a million miles away from how he's described in the Bible. Uh, listen to Ezekiel. You were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emeralds and gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub that covers, may have been an archangel. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found within you. Satan may have been the pinnacle of the angelic creation. The timbrels and the pipes. In other words, he may have led worship in heaven. He was beautiful. He was the morning star. He can appear as an angel of light, full of wisdom and beauty. So we're talking about a very creative, powerful being here. And he has schemes. Now, his schemes are simple. And they work. And they work for thousands of years. 1 John 2.15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that's in the world... Now, we're, talking, we're not talking about God's earth. We're talking about the systems aligned against God in the world. Are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh... And the pride of life. They're not of the Father, but they're of the world, and the world's passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Satan attacks you and me three ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And guess what? We're all prone to one. For instance, the pride of life, 
Eh, it doesn't mean a lot to me. All my trophies in her attic, you know, people step on them, they're broken. Uh, you know, I'm not really big on titles or big offices. Like, that, that stuff never gets me. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one it is. It's between the two of them. But, but we're all somewhere in there, right? Let's start with the lust of the flesh. Satan comes to Jesus and he says, since you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, how was this a temptation? Jesus was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days. There's nothing wrong with eating bread, right? God gave us certain biological drives, which are good. Uh, He gave us this desire to breathe, which, by the way, he took out of our control, thank God. And uh, so that works on its own. He gave us a desire to eat. How many of you are glad we had that desire? Yeah. Man, your arm went up really quick. You know what's amazing about the desire to eat? Um, Everything in life has diminishing returns. So I understand if you eat lobster every night, it'll start tasting like hot dogs. But think about this. You could have filet mignon on a Saturday night and be sitting in church thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch and what you're going to eat for lunch you've eaten a hundred times, but you can't wait to get there. Now, it's biological, right? There's, There's vitamins and... You know, the brain needs fuel. I get all that. But isn't it great that God made it desirable? And we have this wonderful culinary world of food. Isn't that cool? Same with thirst, right? There's a sexual drive that's wonderful and beautiful. It propagates the race. There's pleasure in it. And God put boundaries around it. But Satan comes in this lie. And he says, take something natural. And... Partake of it. Command these stones to become bread. Basically, the indictment of Satan here is that human beings are animals. Now, we're sophisticated animals, we're told, right? You know, today we're told we're at the top of the evolutionary chain. We're sophisticated, but we're, we have posable thumbs, but we're, we're the high point of animal kingdom, right? And Satan's basically tempting Jesus here. He tempts us, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, because all you are is physical, And one day your candle's going to go out. So live it up, man, and feed the flesh. And Jesus says, no. Man's more than that. Man was made in the image of God. Man can feel and think and create and love. Man can do amazing things. Man is the pinnacle of God's creation. Yes, we're physical and that's beautiful, but we're more than that. It's one of the tragedies of pornography. Is that we've made a man or a woman into an image with no soul. And Jesus said, no, here, man is more than an animal. He's made in the very image of God. You know what I'm amazed at here? I'm amazed that Jesus never used his powers as God on himself. He was all of man, but he was all of God. On the day he was arrested, he said, could I not call a legion of angels? He had Peter run down and get a fish out of the sea and took a coin out of his mouth. Jesus could have performed miracles, and he performed many miracles of healing, never on himself. The temptation here by Satan was to convince us that something that's desirable and even good is worth having without God. That's how non-Christians live. Send their kids to great schools, they get great jobs, and they're pursuing everything without God. That was the temptation. Second form of temptation that you may be prone to is the lust of the eyes. And as Americans, I think this is where we live. 
We're the first generation to be bombarded with commercials. In fact, the Super Bowl today, you're going to get bombarded with commercials. Five million dollars, where frogs will tell you what beer to drink, and you're going to eat Fritos, and you know, if you drink a certain beer, you're going to get the girl, and 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 you notice how they never change. You know, I wonder why someone doesn't sit in a room and say, you know, sex isn't selling anymore. Let's try something else. No. We're bombarded through the eye gate with this. The lust of the eyes. It's so dangerous because we're a materialistic culture. We're a culture that loves superiority through the things we have and the things we do. It's a very deadly temptation. But if you look down in the text here, Satan says... He takes Jesus, verse 5, to a high mountain and shows him the kings of the world. Now, I don't know if he showed him the Roman Empire. I don't know if he saw the British Empire. I don't know if he saw New York City in our day. But in a snapshot, he saw the kings of the world and said, all these have been given to me. That was true. Adam had transferred that. And then Satan said, I can give them to anybody I choose, which was a lie. (laughs) You know, he's on a very short leash. He can't give these kingdoms to anyone he chooses. But he mixes truth with error. And all these can be yours if you bow down and worship me. Now, Jesus came to redeem the world. He came to redeem you and me. But the way of redemption was the cross, not by bowing down and worshiping Satan. See, the devastating part of this temptation, and you're hit with it every day and so am I, is A, to live a narcissistic, selfish life apart from God, and B, to live in what I would call a shadow mission. What's a shadow mission? A shadow mission is closely aligned to what God has created for you. It's not wrong. It's not evil. It's not dark. It's just not what God has for your life. Sometimes when church gets hard, Christian leaders will tell you, thoughts come in your mind. There's a hundred other things I could do. There's a hundred other things I could do. There are shadow missions for all of us. There is somebody else I could be married to. I'd have a fantastic life. There is some other career, some amount of money, something out there, some shadow mission far from what God has. I love Jesus' answer here. He says to him, only God shall you worship and only him shall you serve. Jesus hit the nail on the head here. He said, He said, loving God means serving God. Satan was saying, no, 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 just compromise here. Look, look, there's another way. Jesus said, no, but it's not God's way. You know, we're seeking first the kingdom of God. It's God's way. We don't know why. We know God's just. We know he's loving. But it's his way. No one wakes up and commits adultery. No one wakes up and embezzles money. No, James says everything starts small. Like leprosy, it's a little white spot and then it grows and finally it brings forth death. It's a systematic compromise of deviating from God's way to the way that's more comfortable. Is the lust of the eyes. And then finally there's the pride of life. Takes Jesus to the highest point of the holiest place, the temple. And he says, throw yourself down, and then he quotes the word of God, and the angels will bear you up lest you dash your foot upon a stone. And for years I looked at this and thought, well, this is a goofy temptation. What's going on here? What's going on here is Satan said, you haven't started your ministry yet. 
So why don't you start in grand fashion? Don't go into the Nazareth and read the scroll from Isaiah. Don't declare you've come to open blind eyes and, and help the oppressed and bring justice to the earth. Get to the highest point of the temple where everybody could see you. Throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. The crowd will applause. Everybody will believe you're the Messiah. And we'll overthrow Rome. The temptation is devastating when you think about our day. Where we have celebrity pastors, celebrity worship leaders. We have a religious figure who's adored by millions. Drives in an automobile with a, you know, where you can see through and venerate it by people. Satan lie was do something spectacular and God will be pleased. Jesus said no. God's already pleased. See, on the day of his baptism, before Jesus ever entered the ministry, before he ever healed a blind eye, or ever taught one sermon, God said, this is my son, and in him I'm well pleased. We don't earn God's favor. God loves us intrinsically. He created us. He loves us to the core of who we are. Now, like every parent, we love when our kids use their gifts and and they do great things and they achieve. The same with God. But some people have a Pharaoh's mentality of God. See, Pharaoh just wants to drive you and wants you to work. Some of you have been in churches like that. God says, no, I already love you. Now let that be your fuel for living. And Some of you need to know this morning God loves you. And he's washed away your sin and whatever's in your past it has been done away with. And he's well pleased. Watching Jesus for 30 years bang a hammer and a nail and minister to people and honor his mom and dad, he was well pleased. The fourth truth about temptation is that God will make a way of escape. He's not the author. It's only a test. But he knows when you're going through it and he will make a way of escape. Let me give you two scriptures because there's a lot of hocus pocus on this idea. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but which is common to man. And God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will always make a way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it. He'll take you through. James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And, and I talked about hocus pocus because people think, man, I, I've got to do something spectacular. I've got to read some manual on how, to, on how to overcome temptation. No. Resist him. Jesus quoted the word of God and he'll flee. There's no magic dust. There's no, there's no antidote, right? I, know, I, I was in a church where you would come at six in the morning during the week and then you would you know, speak to the west, speak to the east, speak to the north. You were fighting the, dynamic whor- the, uh, yeah, the dynamic, demonic hordes that were out there. And then I read a scripture in Jude where Michael, an archangel, didn't bring a railing accusation against Satan when they, when they fought over the body of Moses. And I'm thinking, if Michael can't argue with the guy, how am I going to argue with him? I just stand in the power of God's might. Jesus defeated Satan in Luke chapter 4, not as God, but as man. Using the word of God. And many of us have been taught that. But if you've ever been taught that, You've only been brought halfway there because the word of God is not enough. And it might sound like blasphemy, but it's not enough. 
We're told in chapter 3, 21 and 22, chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit, 40 days led, 40 days tempted. We now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a very long time and a very long discourse telling his men that there's coming another comforter, there's a counselor coming, a paraclete, one that'll come alongside you. He's going to help you remember everything that I taught you. What helps us today in temptation is that the word of God is now infused in us, but it's the Holy Spirit who takes that word and it illuminates it to us. And you know it and I know it. Every time you're tempted to do something, Scripture comes up. You've got to blow through a, a, a million stop signs because the Holy Spirit is warning you and begging you and begging me that God loves us and, and reminding us, and think about this, guys, reminding us that the reason we're Christians is because we know all those paths lead to bondage. Now, sin's pleasurable for a season. I get it. But we know enough to, to kind of run the logic and say, oh, yeah, when I was involved in all that, it never brought me fruit. It never brought me life. It brought me bondage. That's what God's delivered me from. We have prayer. Jesus prayed all night in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweated great drops of blood. We have the love of the Father I just talked about. But you know what we really have? Hebrews says we have a great high priest, Jesus, who's aware of our sufferings, who was tempted in all manners like us without sin. So even though he couldn't sin, he knows what the pull feels like. He knows the pressures we're under. So in, in the throes of temptation, you don't need to run and hide like Adam. You don't need to cover yourself with fig leaves. Because there's a high priest who says, I know exactly what this feels like. I know the press you're in. And you can get to your knees and lean on him. And the Bible says he's merciful. And if we even sin, he's there to forgive us of all our sin and all our unrighteousness. Final truth about temptation you're not going to like. But I'm going to tell you because it's true. It's never, ever going to end until you die. It's never going to end. They did a study of 23-year-old boys and found out that they think about sex every four seconds. And then they did a study of 33-year-old men and they think about sex every four seconds. And then they did 44 and 54 and 64 and 74. They finally got to 84. And guess how often those men thought about sex? Every four seconds. Probably because they couldn't do it much anymore, but they just <laughs> thought about it. I hope there's nobody 83 that's going to write me on that one. It's never going to leave. We're fallen. Again, we're sinners. Paul said, I'm the chief. Satan's mission before you leave this earth is steal, kill, and destroy. One of the things that you need to realize, and here's why I'm telling you in all seriousness, is because I think some people get to a place where they think, man, I, I got this licked. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I read God's word, live in community. Um, Peter got to this place. Jesus looked at him and he said, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And if you look at the grammar, it's 
He's desired to sift you like wheat, and he can. And he can. But Jesus said, I've prayed for you, that your faith wouldn't fail. The Bible says, take heed that once you think you stand, that's when you're prone to fall. That's when David fell. That's when so many great leaders today have fallen. The Bible says we have to be aware of the schemes of the devil. Now, I'm not saying go out of here and, you know, just think about this all the time. What I'm saying is we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Greater is he who's in the world, uh, in us, than who's in the world. We have victory. It's, it's, it's our, the word of our testimony. It's the blood of the Lamb. There is a life of victory. And, and here's what I know 31 years in. The more you overcome, the stronger you get. Now, you can't rest on that, okay? But the strong, stronger you become. There are things that tempt me in my first year as a Christian that I would laugh at today. However, Satan is probing me for other fault lines. But you build spiritual muscles. James said, when, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Why? You get stronger. You sense God's power. You, you, you taste what victory feels like. The Bible says here that Satan left Jesus for another season. You know when that season was? When a thief next to him said, if you're really the son of God, get off that cross and take us with you. You see, the one thing we'll never know, because angels can appear as human beings, I don't think this was a man in a red suit with a pitchfork in the wilderness. Because that thief on the cross was as much as Satan as anything Jesus had ever seen. At Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus said his mission was to go to Jerusalem, Peter said, no, I'll never let anything happen to you. He said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. If you're the son of man, son of God, take yourself off that cross, take us with us. Physician, heal thyself. That's why Jesus sweated great drops of blood the day before in the garden of Gethsemane. Temptation is something we'll endure for a lifetime. The beautiful thing is when we come through the other side, God says you've passed the test. You learn something about yourself. You learn something about God. There is coming a day where there will be no more world, no more flesh, no more devil. One day in heaven, through the millennium, whatever's ahead of us, we're going to be uninhibited from all these things. Until this time, we walk an interesting road. We live in the world. We're not asked to withdraw ourselves from it. Jesus said, be in the world, don't be of it. Be world-affirming and world-denying at the same time. And one last thing is, the Bible says, don't make provision for the flesh. See, Jesus was driven in the wilderness. He couldn't control it. He was driven there. Satan tempted him there. Sometimes I think Christians set up their own temptation. The Bible says don't make a provision for the flesh. Don't get in areas where you know it's going to pop up. It's going to pop up anyway in normal life. But don't aid the devil by putting yourself there. And don't do it in the name of liberty. Oh, I'm a Christian. I can go here and there. I can do whatever I want. It's foolish. We have each other. We have the word of God. We have prayer. The Father's love. It's wonderful. And one day, Ezekiel says, we're going to look at Satan and say, is this the one 
who deceive the nations? You know, if you can remember back to the little mermaid, remember when the dad was turning that little thing, you know, that you're gonna is this the one who deceived the nations? Is this the one who had all these evil schemes? Father, we thank you this morning.